chapter 2. Appropriately enough, it's the story of a moment of a little bit of holy chaos. Listen now for God's voice as we hear these words from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, today we're continuing. We're in the second week of the series that we're calling Come Unto Me. In this series, we're hearing two kinds of stories. We're hearing stories of people who came to Jesus. And we're hearing stories from the life of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. Now, when we left John Wesley last week, he was a professor at Oxford University, and things were going pretty well for John Wesley. He had classes to teach. He was leading this group of young students who were shaking up the campus by studying the Bible and by serving among the people who were locked up in prison and among the widows and the orphans of the city. He was leading this, this growing religious movement there in the city of Oxford. John Wesley had things just the way he wanted things. He had his life all figured out, And then one day he got a letter that threw his life and threw his soul into turmoil. Now John Wesley got a letter from his father. Now John Wesley's father, Samuel, had been a vicar. He had been the pastor of a church at a place called Epworth for close to 40 years. And after almost 40 years of being the vicar at Epworth, he said, you know, it's probably about time for me to hang this up. And what I would love to know is that when I retire, this place is going to be in good hands. I want one of my sons to take over as vicar when I'm through. I want my son, John Wesley, to come to Epworth and be the new vicar. And so he wrote a letter to John, and he said, John, I want you to come to Epworth, and I want you to take over for me so I can retire. And John was not having it. John had no intention of leaving Oxford. He was perfectly happy just where he was. And so John Wesley, who never did anything, 
anything by half measures, wrote a letter back to his father, and in that letter he counted out, he numbered them, he counted out no fewer than 26 reasons why it would be a terrible idea for him to leave Oxford and come to be the vicar at Epworth. Well, his dad took the hint. Uh, Samuel got that letter and he wrote John back and he said, okay, I hear you. I hear you. You've made your decision. We won't talk about this anymore. And John was a little bit relieved, but of course he also felt a little bit guilty. He felt like he had let his dad down. He knew that he had disappointed his father. Six months later, John Wesley got word that his father was dying. And so he left Oxford. He hurried to Epworth so he could be at at the bedside of his father in his final moments. He made it before his father died. And as Samuel Wesley was lying in the bed, as he was breathing his final breaths, he decided to share some last words of encouragement and comfort with his son, John. And so he looked up at John standing there beside the bed. And this is what he said. He said, the inward witness, son. The inward witness, that is the proof, the very best proof of the gospel of the Christian faith. Now, Samuel Wesley intended those words to be words of comfort. What he meant to say to John Wesley is, Son, never forget that the best evidence we have of the truth of the gospel is not an empty tomb in the Middle East somewhere. It's not the pages of Scripture. It's not the witness of the apostles. The best evidence we have that the gospel is true is the peace and the joy and the assurance that we feel right here when we put our trust in Jesus. That was what Samuel intended to say to John Wesley. He meant those words to be words of comfort and encouragement. What he didn't know, what Samuel Wesley couldn't know, is that those words were going to tear John Wesley's heart in two. Because inadvertently, without knowing that he was doing it, Samuel Wesley had just put his finger on the 27th reason, on the real reason why John Wesley didn't want to be a pastor. Because what the students at Oxford didn't know, what John Wesley's siblings didn't know, what his father didn't know is that John Wesley never in his life had experienced the peace and the joy and the assurance that comes from putting your trust in Jesus. John Wesley believed in God. He believed in the gospel, but believing in God didn't bring him inner peace. If anything, it made him anxious. If anything, it made him fearful. John Wesley was afraid of God. John Wesley was afraid of God's judgment. He was afraid of dying. He was afraid. He was convinced that he didn't have the kind of faith you ought to have if you're going to be a pastor. That was the real reason John Wesley had said no to his father. In his final moment, Samuel Wesley accidentally cut John Wesley to the bone. And then he died. And suddenly John Wesley was overwhelmed, overcome by by guilt. He wished, he said, why couldn't I just have said yes to my father? Why couldn't I just have agreed to what was essentially his, his dying wish? John Wesley wrote a letter to the bishop. He said, I've changed my mind. I will come and be the vicar at Epworth. But the bishop wrote back and said, I'm sorry, we've already sent someone else to Epworth to take over as the pastor. John Wesley now was desperate. He started looking for a way to assuage his guilt, looking for a way to punish himself for his sins, looking for something he could do to escape from this feeling of guilt and this turmoil in his soul. And finally, he said, I know what I'm going to do. I will sign up to be a missionary. I'm going to go to the American colonies and I will preach the gospel to the American Indians. And maybe I will convert them to the Christian faith. And maybe I will die in the process. Either way, God has got to forgive me, right? Either way, my father has got to be proud of me. And so that's what John Wesley did. He got on a ship 
And he sailed. He sailed to the colonies. He sailed to the brand new colony of Savannah in the land of Georgia. And he spent a couple of years there and he tried preaching to the American Indians. He tried preaching to the Native Americans. But as it turns out, they were not all that interested in converting to the Christian faith. And they weren't very interested in making John Wesley a martyr. And so after a couple of really frustrating years, John Wesley got on a ship and he sailed back home. He went back to the city of London. He arrived in London with his tail between his legs, feeling like he had failed on every level. He felt as if he had failed as a son. He felt as if he had failed as a professor. He felt as if he had failed as a pastor. He felt as if he had failed as a missionary. He had failed to find the faith that he so desperately wanted to find, the faith that would give him peace and joy and assurance in his soul. And the worst of it was, people still looked up to John Wesley. People still saw him as a leader in the church. People still saw him as a sort of a spiritual role model. And so people kept inviting him to lead their Bible study. People kept inviting him to lead ministries. People kept inviting him to come come to my church and preach John Wesley. And every time John Wesley stepped up into a pulpit and looked out at those people, he felt like a phony. He felt like a fraud. He felt like a hypocrite. John Wesley was in the middle of a full-blown crisis of faith. And this is what I really love about these stories from the life of John Wesley. He had such a remarkable life, but he was so very human. Now, these stories are so relatable. One of the things that I've learned in my years as a pastor is that on any given Sunday when we gather for worship, somebody out there in the pews is likely to be having a crisis of faith. There might be five people sitting in a pew and four of those people might be glad to be in the house of the Lord. Four of those people might be feeling the peace and the joy and assurance that comes from trusting in Christ and they have no idea that the fifth person is sitting there in the pew going, "Why, why do I still come here? I haven't felt close to God in years. I'm not even sure I still believe this stuff. Whatever these other people in the pew seem to have, I haven't got it. What those four people don't know is that that fifth person is sitting there in the pew on Sunday morning having a full-blown crisis of faith, wondering, wondering if sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning makes them a phony, makes them a fraud, makes them a hypocrite. Sometimes the person on Sunday morning having the crisis of faith isn't in the pews at all. Sometimes the person having a crisis of faith is standing in the pulpit. And if that describes you, if that sounds familiar to you, if you have ever been that fifth person sitting in the pews wondering, why haven't I got what all of these other people seem to have? I want you to know that there's a gospel story just for you. In today's scripture reading, we hear this story from the gospel of Mark. This story comes from early in the ministry of Jesus. The story comes from that moment when Jesus was just beginning to be famous as a healer. And so people are coming to Jesus, hoping that in his presence, hoping that in his words, hoping that in his touch, they can find some kind of relief for their broken and twisted bodies. People come to Jesus in droves. And one day, so many people come to be close to Jesus that the house where he is staying is packed. It's standing room only. There's not enough space to squeeze even another single person into the house. And so Jesus heals people, and he speaks to people, and he preaches. And as he's preaching, four four more people arrive. Four more men walk up, four friends. 
And there's a reason that these four men have arrived late. There's a reason why they got there after everybody else showed up. Because between the four of them, on a sort of mat, on a kind of blanket, they are carrying a fifth man. They're carrying a fifth friend. Their friend has some kind of a paralysis. And these four friends have decided, they believe that if they can just carry their friend to Jesus... If they can just get him a moment in the presence of Jesus, then Jesus will be able to give him the healing that they have been praying for. Jesus will be able to give them the healing, the healing that he seeks. And they arrive at the house, and they see that the house is full. It was a hard journey. It took them a long time to get there, and they're determined that they're not just going to walk away. They're going to get that moment with Jesus. And then one of the friends sees a ladder leaning against the side of the house, and so he climbs up on the roof, and he puts his ear down against the roof until he can hear the voice of Jesus preaching below him. And then he takes a rock, and he begins to create a little bit of holy chaos. He starts pounding on the roof of the house until he has made a crack. And then with his fingers, he starts tearing at the roof. He tears away layers of of clay, layers of stick, layers of branches that have been woven together until he makes a hole in the roof and then he keeps tearing at the hole until the hole is big enough for what he needs to do. And then somehow those four men struggle and and carry their fifth friend up the ladder. They get him up on the roof. They each take a corner of the blanket and they use the blanket to lower him down through the hole into the room where Jesus is teaching. Fortunately, in that moment of holy chaos, the people in the room below recognize what is happening and the Spirit leads them to do what needs to be done. They reach up, they take the man, they put him down on the ground, down on the floor at the feet of Jesus and then they all look to Jesus to see what is Jesus going to do with this? And Jesus looks down at the man who's lying on the mat. And then he looks up, and he sees four faces peering down through the hole. And he looks down at the man on the mat, and then he looks up at those four expectant faces. And then he looks down again at the man on the mat, and then Jesus smiles. And he says to the man, Child, your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat and go home. And that's what the man does. He stands up, he picks up his mat, and he walks right out of the house. And here's the wild thing about this story. Here's the remarkable thing about this story. At no point in this story, maybe you notice this, at no point in this story does the man on the mat speak a single word to Jesus. The man on the mat never says, Jesus, please forgive my sins. The man on the mat never says, Jesus, I want to be healed. The man on the mat never says, Jesus, I have faith in you. The gospel makes it clear that Jesus forgives this man, that Jesus heals this man, not because of his own faith, but because of the faith of his four friends, because of the faith of those four people who were willing to carry him all the way to the feet of Jesus. What a beautiful idea. What a wonderful thing to believe that some of us We'll find healing and forgiveness, not because of our faith, but because we are surrounded by people who refuse to put us down until we are at the feet of Jesus. Because we have good and faithful friends who are willing to carry us as far and as long as it takes for us to find that healing, to find that inner peace. That's what happened to John Wesley. 
After, after months of guilt, John Wesley finally opened up to his friends about this crisis of faith that he was having. He came clean, and he told his friends that he was thinking about quitting. He was thinking about leaving the ministry so he didn't have to feel like a hypocrite anymore. And his friends said, John Wesley, don't you dare. They refused to let him quit. They encouraged him to keep teaching Bible studies, to keep going to worship, to keep stepping up into a pulpit and preaching a faith that he did not have. His friends didn't let him quit. And then one night, John Wesley heard a knock at his door. He opened the door, and his friends were standing there at the door, and they said, John, we're going to Bible study. We think you should come with us. And John Wesley said, I don't want to. He said, it's been a really long day. I'm tired. I'm not feeling it. You all go on without me. And his friends said, no. And they grabbed him, and they practically dragged him through the streets until they got to the house where the Bible study was happening. They dragged him upstairs, and so John Wesley is sitting there in this Bible study feeling grumpy and out of sorts, feeling resentful that he has to be there when he could be at home drinking tea because that's what they do in London, right? Drinking, drinking tea and having a pleasant, quiet evening. John Wesley is sitting there feeling like he is in a place where he very much does not want to be, feeling like he very much does not fit in. And then suddenly, as this Bible study is happening, around him. He feels something. He feels just a little pinprick of warmth in his heart. And that, that little pinprick of warmth begins to grow and spread until that warmth has filled the whole of his heart. And later on, John Wesley writes in his journal about that moment, he says, suddenly I felt, I felt that I did trust in Jesus. And an assurance was given me that he had forgiven my sins and that he had saved me from sin and death. John Wesley found the peace and the joy and the assurance that he had been speaking, not because he was so good at walking towards Jesus, not because of any decisions that he made, but because, but because he was surrounded by friends who refused to put him down until he got to the place where he was going. I hope it's that way for you. I hope when your moment comes, because there will be a moment for all of us when we are that fifth person sitting in the pew wondering why we're here. I hope when that moment comes, when your crisis of faith comes, that you will have good and faithful friends who refuse to put you down. I hope that when you're having a hard time believing in a God you cannot see, you have the wisdom to reach out to people who you can see. I hope that when that crisis comes for you, there are people in your life who are willing to carry you all the way to Jesus. Let's pray. God, give us faithful friends. God, surround us with people who refuse to put us down. God, surround us with people who refuse to give up on us. Give us people in our lives who see in us what you see. Give us people in our lives who see in us things that we cannot see in ourselves. In those moments of crisis, give us four people in our pew who will carry us through until we find peace, until we find joy, until we find assurance in the presence of Jesus. These things we pray in his name. Amen.